Lord, we do welcome your light. We welcome your light this day. And Lord, we acknowledge as we gather together that we need you, that even our remembrance, our worship you, of you, it lands on our life, right? It lands on the everyday places of lightness and joy, the everyday places of labor and ordinary life. It lands on our sorrows as this week we have said goodbye to dear loved ones. We've also welcomed new life. I thank you that you are the God who is with us in it all. We bless your name this morning and we thank you that you have taught us to pray even when we don't have words. So would you pray the prayer Jesus taught us together as we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as one drives the great uh, expanse, some might say barrenness, of uh, western Kansas into eastern Colorado on I-70, some of you might know a similar drive on 80, Interstate 80. Um, so as you're driving that open space and you realize, okay, those mountains are maybe a little further away than I thought, uh, you might need to stop to refuel, maybe a restroom break. And if you did that in that eastern Colorado plain, I mean, you might stumble across the tiny town of Lyman, Colorado, where I grew up for my elementary school years. So I was born the third child to a pastor's family. Um, my dad pastored this small town church and a few other very small rural parishes. Um, we lived in the parsonage next door. My mom was the church secretary. Uh, I was the only child in my confirmation class. And um, even though a couple other families might come through and there'd be a smattering of other kids, you'd think come Christmas time and the pageantry that my mom would put on because she wasn't just the church secretary but also the Sunday school director, um, you'd think that my odds were pretty good to get the part I wanted each year, right? So, and we all know there's, there's a hierarchy in the Christmas pageant roles. Um, at the pinnacle, of course, is Mary, right? So Mary's at the top. It's interesting because uh, Mary actually has a ton of great lines in the Bible story. But usually by the time we get to the Christmas scene set in this stable, Mary doesn't even have to learn any lines, right? She gets to hold her Cabbage Patch doll and kind of, you know, wear this beautiful blue frock and just look surprisingly cute and put together for having just given birth without the benefit of modern pain meds, right? So there's Mary. But there was one persistent obstacle in my quest to be cast as Mary. And that persistent obstacle came in the form of my older sister. She's the second born, mild-mannered, peacemaker, 
um, described as practically perfect in every way after another namesake. You can see where I'm going. Her name was also Mary. So Mary was never the child that got like the snap and the scowl in the first row at church during the service. Mary was never the one who after a few of those snap and scowls got escorted down the long carpeted aisle to the unfortunately thin doors um, leading to the narthex to be disciplined in the middle of church. That was me. Um, And so my sister Mary always got cast as Mary. So after Mary, though, I would say probably next in the hierarchy are the angels, right? Okay, so they've got, you know, the long flowing robes, the lovely ensemble speaking or singing, the beautiful sparkly headdresses, and that leaves us with the stable animals and the shepherds because, you know, as good observance of the church calendar, we knew the wise men came at Epiphany, right? So we weren't having them. Um, And the animals, you know, it's not a glamorous role, but usually the donkey would get like one good zinger and get a laugh. And the sheep would always get the obligatory like sighs and oh, they're so cute, right? Um, And so that takes us to, let's face it, the catch-all, the shepherds. Everyone left, became a shepherd, which was my most commonly held role in the pageantry. And by that point, my mom would be like, get one of your dad's old robes, stand in the back, be quiet, and look scared now and then. And uh, so this was my experience. And of course, as a healthy and well-adjusted adult, I've come to terms with these slights. (laughs) But as I read our text for today in Luke 2, And as we've been invited this week to see Jesus with the shepherds, I come in feeling strangely vindicated. So I want to take us to this text and read it and ask you all to hear the story with fresh ears and eyes, to notice the shepherds and and what they're experiencing and how they're responding. Um, But before I do that, I, I want to actually check in with us as a room, as a community this morning. And to do that, I want to actually do a quick, simple poll. Um, I'm going to have you kind of self-assess this morning. How open are you coming in today, into this last week of Advent before Christmas? So how open, and I mean like a spiritual openness, like how open to God do you feel this morning? And the way we're going to vote is we're actually going to, as you're able, you're going to hold up your hand. We're going to hold up a number of fingers, right, that kind of represent our openness. Now we're going to do this with eyes closed so there's no judgment, no shame. I just want to read the room and pray for us. Um, But so maybe you're a one or a two, right? I mean, if you're here, you're not a zero, right? Maybe, Maybe you're one that's like, hey, lady, it's all I could do to just get here. That's all I got. Uh, Maybe you're actually a four or five and you're actually coming into this week feeling pretty hungry and open and eager for what God has. So we're going to vote with our hand and just to make it interesting, I'm going to say you can't vote three because by the law of averages, we're all like want to be in the middle. So you got to tell me, okay, are you leaning, you know, one or two or high four or five? So close your eyes, humor me here, close your eyes. And I want you to hold up your hand and vote. One, two, four, or five. Hold them high so I can see. Again, just be honest before God. You know, if we can't be real in front of God who already knows us, right? Just be real for a minute. Keep your hands up for one moment. Thank you. Okay, lower your hands. And would you pray with me? 
Um, Lord, I just thank you for each person who is here this morning. And God, their level of honesty, their openness. And I see, I do see the gamut. Lord, I see a lot of spiritual hunger and eagerness. And I see people who are ones or twos. Um, and Lord, thank you that you know every, everything about our lives. And you know exactly where we are in our hearts this morning. And as we come to your word, would you give us fresh eyes? With whatever openness we have, would we encounter you in a new way this morning? In your name we pray, amen. All right, so I want you to hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2. And again, listen with kind of a fresh sense of, of noticing of these shepherds, right? What do, you, what do you notice about them in the story? What do you wonder about? And just as a heads up, we are going to turn and t tell our neighbor something that we noticed, and then we're going to hear in the large group. So listen attentively. All right. This is from Luke 2. If you're reading along, we're going to start in verse 8. Luke writes, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. All right, so what did you notice about the shepherds? What, what did you wonder about as you heard that story? Turn to a neighbor or two and just share something that you noticed as you heard that text. Talk for about a minute.
Okay. So hopefully we noticed some fresh things or we were curious about something that we hadn't noticed in that story before. I'm actually going to have a share in the large group for a little bit. And so we can hear each other. I am going to pass the mic, invite you to just say your first name and something you noticed. Feel free to share your neighbor's brilliance with us on their behalf if they said something. Um, you can give credit, you know. So if you're willing to share something, I'd love to see a hand or two so I can come find you with the mic and We'll get started. So name and just one thing you noticed or curiosity. I think you got voluntold there, sir. Yeah, I got volunteered. <laughs> um, name, I'm Bob. Um, three, three things kind of jumped out at me. Right away, there was the fear of the shepherds. Yeah. And then it seemed to go right to understanding and then to action. Yeah. So we're on our way. We're going. We need to go see this. Yeah. So that was pretty powerful all within hours, I'm assuming. Yeah, right. They're terrified. There's some, like, understanding, and then they act. Yeah. Perfect. Great. Great. Let's get a couple more things we noticed or are curious about. Perfect. We were wondering uh, what the background of the shepherds was. Mm -hmm. And were they Pharisees or were they Gentiles? And what prompted them to have an interest in going to see yeah. this event? Yeah, I love that. Who are these people? I was with someone this, this week, and they were like, as we prayed, they said, Lord, you know all their names. And I thought, oh, they have names. You know, it's just one of those moments where, of course, they have names, but like, who are they? What's their story? These are all real people that God knew. It's awesome. Let's do one or two more. Something else you noticed? Yep, in the middle here. Perfect. Well, shepherds often had a bad reputation being stinky and out with animals all day long, yet they might have been the first witnesses to the incarnation, except for Mary and Joseph. Yes, fear. This is not a, probably a pleasant, um, like if, you're, if you were doing imaginative listening, this was a stinky experience probably, right? But were they the first witnesses? I love that thought. One more, something you noticed. This, you guys are doing a great job. One more thought, question? Final word. Okay. Well, great job. Thank you for being curious. I think that our curiosity and our openness is one of the best things that we can bring when we come to particularly familiar stories. Um, at this holiday season. And I want to actually take us and kind of explore some of those questions and observations you were making in the text. So if you like following along, we're going to go back to the beginning of this excerpt at verse 8 in chapter 2 and see what we can unpack. So first of all, Luke starts, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And it's into that moment that this angel appears, right? and makes this pronouncement, and they are terrified, right? It says they're terrified. So we learn a lot even in just the first couple of verses. Some of the things we see here, uh, it says living out in the fields. So this is not like a clock in eight to five job. Like their vocation is their life, right? They're living with their livestock out in these fields. And they're keeping watch over them at night. So they are on the job when this encounter happens. 
And even that clue at night tells us something maybe about the setting, right? If they're grazing their sheep at night, this is probably a hot time of year. This is not a white Christmas, right? They're grazing them at night, not in the heat of the day. So they're on the job. And even the little word in the fields nearby, that tells us something too, right? So just before this in the text, we learned that the story is centering in at Bethlehem. So they're nearby Bethlehem. Because of course, Joseph and Mary have made this journey to be counted in the census in Bethlehem. And that could be significant because um, Bethlehem is very close to Jerusalem. And it's quite possible that among um, shepherds and herds in this area, that these might not have been animals raised primarily for wool or for food, but they could very well have been animals raised actually to be sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem. And even that detail, does that make you wonder how might that have impacted how the shepherds understood their vocation or this encounter with the messenger of God? Right? So we continue and, and we look at the, the angel's going to come into this story and really just change everything in a moment. But I, I love the question about kind of who are these people and some of the cultural background. And I do want to give a little bit of insight into um, the reputation and role of shepherds in the ancient East. And um, it's interesting because from what I can see in studying, there's kind of an up and down reputation around the vocation. So um, we actually, the earliest reference to a shepherd or someone keeping livestock would be to Abel in Genesis. So you might know the brothers, Cain and Abel. Well, Abel raised livestock and Cain worked the land in agriculture. So the age old, um, the farmer and the cowman can't be friends. I mean, that played out, right? And it went about as badly as a rivalry could as Cain mur murdered his brother, Abel, right? But so we have very early references and shepherds were critical, particularly as the people were a nomadic peoples, a herding peoples. So they had a relatively positive reputation. Abraham, Jacob, even Jacob's wife, uh, Rachel, um, was noted to be a shepherdess. And this continued up until the people were oppressed and enslaved by the rise of the Egyptian empire. So the Egyptians, um, they were a much more agricultural people and culture. And they thought, you know, the livestock were kind of a scourge on the land. And as that stigma kind of rubbed off on the Jewish peoples that carried uh, ahead for quite some time. Now Moses, we know, when he fled Egypt, he actually went and married into a family of shepherds and shepherdesses, which is an interesting reminder that this vocation was actually held by both men and women historically. So when you picture this herd of shepherds you know, with their livestock, it could have been young men or young women, which is an interesting thing to remember. Um, now, they get a little bit of a boost in the reputation when King David comes to power, right? He wasn't well thought of as the youngest child, you know, tending the sheep. But when he rises to power and writes such beautiful artistic renderings, using God, the image of God as a shepherd, right? It gains um, back some of that positive reputation. But by this kind of first, second century AD, it seems like there's been kind of a slide again. They were seen as, I don't know, ruffians and maybe not the most ethical, kind of shady characters. And so while we don't know the exact reputation of this particular group, we can imagine a lot about them. And we certainly know that they were not the powerful of their day, right? 
So go ahead into the story and see what, let's see what happens next, right? The angel comes and makes this amazing birth announcement. And knowing what you know about those shepherds, doesn't it make you wonder why does the Lord send his messenger to make this cosmic millennia awaited announcement of the Messiah to this group, to these shepherds? Why? And what what might that possibly have been like? Can you imagine that experience for them or that community? I mean, I even you know, researching and thinking about it, I find it really hard to get my head around that kind of what was that ordinary life for them and what would that supernatural encounter have been like? But I do know and can get in touch with what kind of a very ordinary work week life week feels like for me, and I can imagine how incredibly disruptive and disorienting this encounter would have been, right? So the angel comes, so picking up in verse 10, the angel comes and says, as most angels say first, do not be afraid, right? Because they're terrified. It says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, do you hear those, those words? Good news, great joys, all the people, right? And it's amazing because after this happens, you know, I love how the angel gets very practical. Okay, look for this sign, right? This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's the sign. And then it's almost like out of this one message, you know, the overflow, the, the heavenly hosts just explode with this whole company of angels, right? And they all just burst into this exuberant worship of God, singing glory to God. Peace on earth to those on whom his unmerited favor, his grace will rest. And just as suddenly it seems they're gone, right? What would that moment have been like as the quiet of the night comes back, the dark returns? You know, I find myself wondering like, okay, so what do they do? We know that it says that they turn to each other and go, well, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's check this out, right? They're responsive. But I do wonder, I was like, was this all of the shepherds? Did they all say, let's go? I mean, were some of them like, well, I must have had some bad shawarma. I think I'm going to go back over there and sleep this one off, right? I don't know, but it seems like if even most of them left or all, what also happened to their sheep? Like, what happened to this flock? Does it remind you of another story where Jesus called some fishermen at work and they left their nets and their catch of fish? I wonder if these were the very first disciples to follow Jesus who left their very vocation behind them, right? And it's amazing because they go, right? They seek Jesus out. And what do they find? It says they hurry and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. And it was just as they were told. They found this baby wrapped in these cloths, and it's possible these, these weren't ordinary kind of rags on the floor of a, um, 
a stable, right? It's possible these were the very cloths that they would wrap the lambs born to their herds that would be sent, consecrated and sent to be sacrificed at temple. They found what the angel had said. And incredibly, when they find Jesus, it says when they had seen him, what did they do? They spread the word, right? Look at 17. They spread the word concerning what had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what they said, right? They immediately respond, and they spread the word. They were also the first witnesses, this first community of witnesses. And I've often asked myself, you know, why does Luke, in his telling of this story, uh, he gives so much more attention than the other gospel writers, both to the role of, of Mary and Elizabeth, these incredible women. And he also gives so much more attention to the role of these shepherds in his account. But think about Luke's writings, right? Luke wrote this gospel, but Luke also wrote the book of Acts, right? And it's meant to be one cohesive account from the coming of Jesus to the extension of the church to the ends of the earth. And I wonder if Luke knew it, right? He saw Mary as that first faithful witness and he saw these shepherds as the first community of witnesses who would speak of the Messiah. Do you see the pattern, right? We notice this progression and the pattern, and you can see it there, right? Long before Jesus would call those fishermen, long before John the Baptist would even speak of Jesus, these shepherds saw, they heard, they had a witness from the angel of the Messiah, of the Christ, and they sought Jesus for themselves. And in seeing Jesus, they responded by speaking of the Christ, right? There's this beautiful pattern, right, that we have, we receive a witness, and we respond, we speak. We see Jesus, and we speak of what we've seen. And we are invited into that same cycle, that same pattern. There was a group of students here in the building about a month ago from the Greek University chapter at the University of Iowa, uh, so fraternity and sorority students, and they came for a retreat. Uh, I was putting some food together in the kitchen at downstairs, and one of these first-year students came into the kitchen and introduced herself, very effusive, very um, energetic. I was like, hey, what's your name? Told me hers, and she's like, oh, you're on staff, and how long have you been on staff? And I was like, oh, I came on in, you know, 0102 after college, and she's like, wow, you've been on staff as long as I've been alive. And I was like, yes. Um, and she just jumps right into telling me her story. She was like, oh, I was, in, I was in high school, I moved in high school, and it was a really dark and lonely time. And, but God sent like one good friend to me who told me about Jesus, and I believed. But I was really nervous about coming to college because I thought, how is my faith gonna survive? And she was so amazed that God had provided her richest spiritual community in the sorority house that she rushed and joined. And she was so just uh, alive and on fire. She's like, I asked my friends if we could get baptized in the lake this weekend. And I was like, it's 20 degrees. And she goes, I'm going to ask him if I can get baptized in the bathtub at the retreat center this weekend. And she was just so full of joy. And I just remember like 
getting emotional, starting to cry, and like in the tossed salad I'm trying to put together. And because I came to faith as a student, I started following Jesus as a college student, and her story so encouraged me. I thought of another student who we had asked to share their testimony at an event and actually invite their friends to follow Jesus. And this student started sharing their story. And after kind of the first paragraph or so, the student kind of went off script and started saying, uh, you know, but I've actually had a really hard semester. And actually, if I'm honest, I haven't been following Jesus. And I've been really struggling. I've been partying a lot. And I've been hiding it from my staff and my friends. And, but I... I love Jesus, and I know Jesus can forgive me, and I want to come back. And the student, like, they're sharing their own story, and they're basically, like, testifying to themselves that Jesus will forgive them and loves them. And they ended, they're like, I want to come back to Jesus, and do you want to come back with me? And called their friends to return to Jesus. Their witness is powerful. And You know, we are all invited in response to a story like this to find ourselves in it, right? Because this text reminds us God will have a witness. Whether it is the angelic host, it is Mary, it is the shepherds, he will have a witness. And the only qualification is that you have seen or heard something of this Christ, right? You don't have to be theologically educated or hold a degree. You don't have to be all put together. You don't have to be perfect. But we respond. And we remember in the story, look, the shepherds came before the kings, did they not? The kings are coming, but it's the shepherds first. God subverts and upends the very powers and power structures that humans build, right? And he comes to the powerless, he comes to the humble, and he sends us as his witnesses. With whatever we've seen or heard, will we be faithful to speak? The text ends, if you look in verse 20, it says this. It says, the shepherds returned, and glorifying God, praising God, for what? For all the things they'd heard and seen which were just as they'd been told. It's so interesting because the very next verse says that on the eighth day they took Jesus as as observant Jews to be circumcised. So the shepherds, they only had a week, right? Seven days where they're going around the neighborhoods, door to door the fields, anyone who would listen and speaking of what they'd seen and heard. We got a week about till Christmas. What could God do through our witness in just seven days? And might we come back into our ordinary lives and even come back next week full of praise, glorifying God for all that he has done? Amen? Amen. Well, I'd love to close, and I'll have the worship team come up, but I'd like to teach you a short prayer as a way to kind of commission and close our time this morning.
And this is a prayer, you know, I taught the auditorium family um, earlier this fall, but I wanted to teach you all this prayer as well. So it's a prayer um, that is written by a woman, Julian of Norwich. And I don't know if you know anything about Julian, a really interesting um, figure from our kind of cloud of witnesses. So um, a spiritual ancestor from England, born in the 14th century. And Julian was uh, an important theologian and, and Christian Christian mystic. We don't know a lot about her day-to-day life. She's always pictured with cats, so we know she had a cat companion a lot. Um, But one thing that's really interesting is the earliest um, known English manuscript attributed to a woman comes from Julian of Norwich, who lived much of her life in isolation. So the 14th century um, England and Europe was a very dark place, right? Full of political and social unrest in the middle of the Hundred Years' War, and also in the midst of the Black Plague. So she lived her life nearly entirely in isolation, but had these profound encounters and revelation of what she described as God's life, love, and light, and captured those. And she wrote a simple prayer that's an embodied prayer that I want to teach us Um, to close our time. And so if you are able and willing to stand with me, I'd love to teach you this prayer. And it's four words. Would you say these four words with me? Await, allow, accept, attend. And each word comes with a simple action that I want you to do with me. So the first word, and we can, yeah, we'll keep that on the screen. Hold your hands out in front of you like this and say, await. So in this posture, we await God to reveal himself to us in whatever way he pleases, that we might see and hear and respond. The second posture is allow, and your hands are actually above over your head, kind of allowing, ready ready to receive the way that God wants to meet us and all he wants to do in us. So we allow. The third posture is accept, and we put our hand over our heart, And we accept what God is doing. We accept, we receive, and we ready ourselves to respond. And the fourth um, motion is our hands are out in front. Attend. Attend. Because we want to be attentive, attend to God's invitations to us in the world. To speak of him, to serve, to love as he did. So do those four motions with me from the beginning and say the words with them. We say, await allow, accept, attend. Let's do that one more time. Ready? Await, allow, accept, attend. This time, just do the motions and I'll pray through those motions with us. So hold our hands out. Lord, we await what you have for us. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us and we are open. Would you make us even more open to however you want to reveal yourself? God, we raise our hands and we pray aloud that we would allow you to fill us, to encourage us, to interrupt our lives. God, graciously help us to see, to believe. And with hands over heart, we accept. We accept your gifts, the grace of your revelation to us. 
the good news that is for all people. And we hold our hands out and ask God, would you help us to attend faithfully to all your invitations, that we would be a people that go and seek you for ourselves and speak of you with courage and love. One final time, we pray, await, allow, accept, attend. Let's worship together.